Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. It's a joy to be with you this morning. For those that I have the privilege of seeing your faces and for those of you at home, it is our joy to to have you with us this morning. Um, We are going to be starting a new series. And as I'm looking into this new series, I had the privilege of wrapping this sermon up in the waiting room at Children's Hospital there in Philadelphia. And the truths that we're going to uncover this morning are the same truths that I've been implementing into my heart and my life with the, with the news of our little girl having a chromosome disorder. We're going to take a look at how gracious our great God is. And oftentimes his grace is on full display in some of the most jaw-dropping ways possible. And as I'm awaiting the results of the test for our little girl, I was reminded how gracious God has been in my life. Maybe you've had those thoughts. Hopefully you've seen the grace of God. Even with difficult diagnosis of a chromosome disorder with this little baby girl, God in his gracious sovereignty has opened a new door for witness to doctors, to medical staff, to people we would never have met if it wasn't for this gift of this little girl. You know, my story doesn't stand alone. Scripture speaks of God being a gracious God all through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. He is gracious to his children. In fact, these other encounters of strange grace point to the same awesome God. I'm reminded of a team of missionaries leaving for Ecuador to make Christ known to an unreached tribe. They ended up giving their life so that the tribe could hear about Jesus Christ. What was the result? The wife of the man murdered, Elizabeth Elliot, she went and shared Christ with the Ecuador people who killed her husband, and God redeemed them. That was strange grace in the life of Jim Elliot. I'm reminded of a young monk attempting to live the most pious life possible, They said of this monk, if there was somebody that could live the perfect life besides Christ, it might have been this guy. He was unable to do it. The result, that young monk realizes he's unable to live a perfect life, and only through Christ can one be saved. That's strange grace in the life of Martin Luther. I'm reminded of this person. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, this man was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. What was the result in his life? This was a man that persecuted our brothers and sisters. He went to Damascus on on route to ring up whoever he could find that was calling on the name of Christ. What was the result there? a redeemed by the blood of Christ, apostle of God, who God used to write a large portion of our New Testament. That's strange grace in the life of the apostle Paul. 
And most of all, the perfect, spotless one who became sin, who knew no sin, was crucified for our transgressions, our sins. And what was the result? The salvation of all who believe as they become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. This is strange grace in the life of the Son of God, his earthly life. Whatever may be ongoing in life, whether trial, affliction, or maybe you're in a state of peace and tranquility, God is gracious. Amen? Ask him for eyes to see his hand at work and testify to the greatness of our God. We have the opportunity to kick off a new series entitled Strange Grace. And as we dive into the book of Jonah, see what I did there? We will see grace upon grace, often in ways that we could never imagine. The term strange grace, I was talking with a theologian who I think most of you have probably heard of. His name is Pastor Dave Wolf. And as we were talking about strange grace, he made this comment. This was his quote. All grace is strange when you think about it, end quote. And as he unpacked that, what is he speaking about? He's talking about that none of us deserve the grace of God. No one in this room, no one listening online deserves the grace of God. And yet God lavishes it upon us. That is strange. Our God is such a good God. So we're going to provide a quick overview of the book of Jonah before we actually take a look at chapter 1. So this is a book that most people um, in the United States have probably heard of. Jonah, we're talking those outside of a biblical worldview. They probably think he got swallowed by a big whale, or they think the story alludes to that. Um, But we're going to see it's a great fish. But when you actually talk to them, they're probably going to suggest that it's fictional, that it's a fairy tale, that it didn't truly happen. And I want to tell you that Jonah is a historical person, And the events that are recorded that we're going to look at in the month ahead really happened in history. Jonah is a true story. We see it's written in a narrative form, and it's telling us that actual events happened in history. How do we know this? I want to share two very important reminders for us, two proofs of this claim. So I'm saying that Jonah is a historical figure, and the events actually recorded in the book of Jonah are grounded in history. That's my premise. That's my argument. Now, let me give you the support. Number one, as believers in Christ, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. The inerrancy of Scripture. This means we believe the Bible is true, we believe the Bible is authentic, and we believe the Bible is without error. Why? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For what purpose? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The main point I want to make there is it's breathed out by God. So God used human authors to pen it, the words of the Bible, but he was the one that was inspiring what they were writing. That is called the inerrancy of Scripture. 
So when it records the events in Jonah, we believe that God actually recorded those events for us, and they are true without error. Hope you're following along. That's premise one. If we say, well, maybe that didn't actually happen, how can we trust any other parts of the scriptures? Number two, this one is even more important. Jesus Christ himself grounds Jonah as a historical figure. And he's going to use Jonah in the belly of a big fish. Jonah spends three days and three nights. Maybe Jesus spends three days and three nights somewhere, right? In the earth. And so Jesus is going to look when he's talking with the Pharisees, and we'll unpack this in the weeks ahead. He looks at Jonah as he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you remember Jonah? Remember where he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale? That's your sign. I'm going to be three days, three nights in the earth. And then he makes the claim that what you see here is greater than Jonah. And so Jesus Christ himself says Jonah was a historical person who really spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. If that's a fairy tale, what do we make of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ? We must affirm that Jonah is a historical person and the events in Jonah truly happened. All right, now that we established that truth, if you can open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is a minor prophet, and that term can, can kind of mix us up. He's not minor by content. It's just the length of the book is shorter. There are some real treasures in the book of Jonah. So don't let a minor prophet make you think there's minor truth. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet Jonah. What is a prophet? He is to be the mouthpiece of God. He is to instruct those that he's called to in the ways of the Lord. His mission is to declare the truth of God to humanity. So Jonah 1.1 starts by giving us a genealogy. Tells us that he's the son of Amittai. What does that mean? He's a real historical person. There wouldn't be a genealogy given if he was fictional. And the prophet's receiving his orders. What are his orders? Look at verse 2 with me. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. He was to go to the adversaries of God and call these people to repentance. Nineveh was a great city, according to the book of Jonah, but not in the greatness of any moral standard. These people were wicked and evil. But the city itself was extraordinary, as you can see a a possible depiction of what it looked like. It had economic wealth, military power, and size. One commentator said this, Nineveh provided the last word in military strength and security. Her walls were a 100 feet in height, 
and built on a rock foundation. Overshadowing the walls were 1,500 watchtowers, some 200 feet in height. Everything about this mighty city said that she would last for centuries. But we know that that will not happen. Nineveh will be destroyed in the years ahead. Nineveh was a powerhouse of a city, but it was an evil city worthy of judgment and destruction. Yet, God's strange grace and beautiful mercies on display here. God is calling Jonah to go to the city and call them to repentance. This is an evil, wicked, pagan, adulterous, murderous city. And I could go on and on with those descriptives. How great is the mercy of God, brothers and sisters, that he is calling Jonah to go to this city and call them to repentance. Don't we serve an awesome God? What mercy. So you think the prophet of God hears this? He's supposed to be the mouthpiece of God. He's going to get excited. I get to go and call these people to repentance. They get to hear the good news of God. Let's see what happens. Verse 3, Jonah rose, this is good, to flee to Tarshish. That's bad. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. And the key there is, and it's repeated earlier, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah makes every attempt to get away from this call. Look at the distance here. So he has to go to Nineveh, and he's near Joppa, and he says, I'm going to sail for Tarshish. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Most people put it in southern Spain. Anyway, anywhere you put it, it's away from Nineveh. He is fleeing from the call of God. He's attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord. Let me make something clear for you, brothers and sisters. You and I cannot cannot flee from the presence of God. A prophet of God should understand that. And clearly he says, I'm out. You and I cannot flee from the presence of God. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10. David's reflecting on God's presence and God's presence being with him at all times. Look at what he says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Those are precious truths for you and I. This is the same God that we serve. can never be away from the presence of God. So Jonah, a prophet of God, ironic here, he doesn't realize that truth. He's putting it that truth aside and saying, I'm going to still attempt to get away. I do not want to go to the evil people of Nineveh. He tries to flee from the presence of God. He makes arrangements to get away by purposefully, willingly arranging a trip in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah's disobedience is going to result in God's grace changing hearts. 
another shocking truth that we encounter. God's grace is going to change hearts, and it's even going to be through Jonah's disobedience. We serve an awesome God. How he uses what Jonah meant for evil, he's going to use it for good. We see that story with somebody else. Joseph, what was meant for evil by his brothers to kill him, sell him into slavery, God uses for good. Right? We think of Jesus Christ being the greatest example of the evil that was intended for him by the people, the Jewish people, uh, calling for his crucifixion, results in the salvation of all who believe. What man means for evil, God can use for good. God's grace changes hearts. That's my main takeaway for you this morning. So jot that one down. God's grace changes hearts. Let's see what happens. So Jonah flees. He's going to make his way for Tarshish. Let's see who's really in control. Verses 4 through 6. Follow along with me. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah flees, and the start of verse 4 tells us who's actually in control. Verse 4 starts out by saying, But the who? Lord. But the Lord. Who's in control? Jonah is not in control. God is. And God's going to display his control in a mighty way. How? By controlling the seas and the storms. This is shocking. For any of you that have gotten to know me, I am a meteorology nerd. Before the call to ministry, I was getting ready for a career as a weatherman. This was my dream, as you can see the picture up there. I attended college studying meteorology before switching to Lancaster Bible College. And one thing that I became very clear of is that no matter how much money we invest into weather models, which you can see up there, they're just trying to predict, that's the current temperatures, but we try to predict what's going to happen in the days ahead. No matter how much money is invested, we still cannot accurately predict what the weather is going to do. Many of you have used the joke that cuts us meteorologists to the core of a meteorologist gets paid to be wrong. Why is that said? Because we can't predict it, right? We invest all these funds, and it gives us some possibilities of what might happen, but we don't know. We don't know what the weather is going to do. Yet God knows what the weather is going to do, and on top of that, he controls it. Do you see that truth? God is great. We are finite. He is so good, and he's going to call the storms to rage here. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He controls it. The stormy seas rage at the sound of God's voice, and they also will cease just like that when he tells them to. So a mighty storm sieges the ship. What are the people on board doing? Verse 5 tells us they're crying out to their God. Each of them, you can picture this happening, this battering 
of the ship. They're thinking it's going down. And what do they do? They turn to their gods. Lowercase g. These would be their false gods. Their idols. They turn and they plead, save us. And what's the response? What's, what's the weather do? Nothing. It continues to rage on. What's that tell us? Which God is the superior God? Ours. The God of the Bible. He's the one who's actually in control. So they're pleading with their gods and no result. The storm rages on. Only the one true God controls the storms. The captain of the ship finds Jonah sleeping and he petitions Jonah to call out to his God. This is ironic. This is a pagan captain does not know anything about the God of the Bible. And he sees Jonah, who's supposed to be the prophet of God, that actually has the answer for what's going on, and Jonah's sleeping. And so you have a pagan captain reaching out to a prophet of God, saying, can you please call on your God? Do you see the irony here? And it's God's grace again, because now this captain has his attention on Jonah, who has the answers of the one true God. And these mariners, this captain, they're going to learn a quick lesson about the power of our great God. Look at verses 7 through 13 with me. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Now, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. This is an awesome account of God's grace in the midst of chaos and terror. Lots are cast. God in his sovereignty reveals to the mariners, Jonah, he's the one that's at fault. A conversation ensues. Can you just see the ship is like getting torn up and all of a sudden all the attention instead of on the waves and the tear is on Jonah. God has directed the mariner's focus right where it needed to be on the one who actually had the answers. The result, Jonah suggests that he be tossed in the sea because the tempest has been brought because of his own disobedience. The people refuse to follow with the request. They attempt to row back to dry land. What's the result of man's effort? Nothing. In fact, the storm gets worse and rages on. God's ways are not thwarted. In the midst of great chaos and fear, God's grace is shining through this narrative. All parties on this boat, including Jonah, are learning a very valuable lesson, a valuable truth that God... Our God is in control. And only God's ways are fulfilled. Verses 14 through 16. 
Therefore they called out to the Lord. Notice how that's spelled and capitalized. And see how often it's repeated. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased. From its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to who? The Lord. And made vows. There's a repeated name throughout that passage. I tried to emphasize it. It's not the name of pagan gods. It's the term Lord, capitalized in small font. This is the name of our great God. Whenever you see scriptures, use that L-O-R-D, capitalized. It's referencing the name of Yahweh, the name of our great God. This part's remarkable. These mariners were all calling out to their own false gods, and now they're calling on the name of of the Lord. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Their attention, their affection has shifted from their own false gods to the one true God. Through the storm, God has completely changed their hearts. This is strange grace on display. They picked Jonah up and they hurl him into the sea and immediately the sea ceases from its raging. The fear and the terror has ended and they've come face to face with the reality that there is one true God, one true God who conquers the sea. I try to put myself in this text to understand what's going on. And I'm thinking of the storm just stopped. Let's get back to dry land. And then we'll take it up with the Lord, right? We're still on the water here when this, when these events are happening. Let's get back to land because we don't know if the sea's going to rage again. And I want to have my feet on dry land. Maybe you've been there if you've been on rocky seas. Get me out of here. Then I'll take it up. That's not what happens. Immediately, the text is telling us here. What's the result after the storm ceases? There's wholehearted repentance. There's conversion. These men have turned from idols and they trust the one living God who delivered them. God is gracious, even using Jonah's disobedience to bring about the mariners' salvation. God's grace changes hearts. The men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows with the Lord. No reader would have ever expected these events to unfold. You know, for us, we've heard Jonah numerous times, but if you're a first time listener of this story, you would never expect what just happened. God's strange grace redeeming the lives of these mariners. But we're, all, we're also left on a cliffhanger here. Jonah just got tossed into the sea. What's going to happen? Well, you'll have to tune in next week. 
Next week, we're going to look how these events unfold. But let me remind you, Jesus Christ is going to look at the events that we cover next week, and he's going to say, see that? Greater am I. Greater who's with you here. And he's going to say that event that we're going to read about next week is going to point to the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my recommendation for you, make sure you're here or tuning in. If you're at home, make sure you listen, because Jesus uses that as a foreshadow of his resurrection. So let's make some important applications before we wrap up. Nineveh was an evil city. Nobody can argue against that. God himself said that he could see their evil. What might not be so obvious is the wickedness that's within our own hearts. If you spend any time in the book of Romans, you'll realize quickly we're not much different than Nineveh apart from Christ. Romans 3, 10, 11 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the case with each of us. If we're not in Christ, we're enemies of God. We're children of wrath, Scripture says, just like Nineveh. And here's the wonderful truth that follows. Just as the mariners repented, and in the chapters ahead, we're going to see another shocking group of people repent, God's grace changes hearts. I'm a testimony to this. You are too if you know Jesus Christ as Lord. Before Christ changed my heart and changed my life, I was living for myself, just like the mariners, right? Calling out to their own false gods, that was me. And when God called me to repentance and redeemed my life, God's grace changed my heart. If you're a believer in Christ, remind yourself of the grace of God every day. Don't go a day without thinking how gracious and good our God truly is. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, let me call you to repent of your sins and turn to him today. Talk with one of us. Talk with a, a friend that knows the Lord. We want to be there to journey that with you. Repent of your sins. Trust in him today. That leads me to application two. Jonah fled. Jonah had the knowledge of our God. He was a prophet of God. And he was called to go to a place that desperately needed to hear the gospel. And he said, I'm out of here. You guys, myself, those listening at home, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has taken our sin, our shame, our transgressions. He exchanged it for righteousness. He went to the cross paying for our sins. He gives eternal life to all who believe and call on the name of the Lord Jesus. You have that good news. Who are you going to share Christ with? Romans 10, 14 through 17 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have all have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Who can you share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ with this upcoming week. You have the good news. Don't run the other way and flee from where God's calling you. Go and share Jesus Christ. Go tell somebody about the good news. Because precious are those feet that carry the good news of the gospel. And praise God that somebody's feet came to you bringing the good news of the gospel to you. Now go and bring it to somebody else. I want to end with this awesome quote. It comes from opening up Jonah. It says this, Jonah is fond of the word great. In the book, we meet a great fish, a great storm, a great city. But above all, we're introduced to a great God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. As we think of Jonah being called to go to Nineveh, to call a city to repentance, a city that was wicked and evil, we're reminded of you redeeming our hearts and our lives. We were a wicked and evil generation as well. And that's where the grace of God was on full display where Jesus took our sin and our shame and nailed it to the cross. And the story doesn't end there. He was crucified, but he's also resurrected. And that gives us great hope and joy that we have eternal life to look forward to. I pray that you might lay people on our heart, those that we can witness to, that you give us opportunities to use our feet to carry the good news of the gospel. May you be lifted high, magnified, glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.